Welcome to the Selbius Godcast, episode 9 here on The Athletic, the Indians podcast on The Athletic. TJ Zuppi and Zach Meisel alongside. But, you know, unfortunately, Zach, at this time, you know, last week we were talking uh, just after the, the season had ended and we were trying to wrap our brains around everything that's happened. Now, flash forward a week and, and you and I are sitting here still not only trying to figure out what happened, but also trying to, to figure out what to do with ourselves. How are you, buddy? I'm so bored. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, those who know me know my brain just, it never shuts off. And I always, I hate not being busy and I hate, I'm like, I have a sickness with work and I, you get so accustomed to going to the ballpark every day, looking ahead at the schedule to see what city you're going to be in a few days from now and, and writing certain things at certain times. And it's, it's such the off season is so different and it's so against what you, what you work yourselves toward. And, and it's just, it's such an adjustment and you have no, there's no transition period. And so I'm, you know, I texted, you included. I texted a bunch of people over the weekend, and I just said, "Do you have any suggestions for hobbies <laughs> or interests that I could <laughs> take up?" Um, I'm not really sure what to do with this free time. So, quilting. What else have you mixed in? Pokemon card gathering. Yeah, yeah. Basket weaving. Yeah, that, a that's true. One. Yeah, very, very, very nice. Yeah, I'm um, sort of the same way. I feel like it. I compared it to a breakup. Because in a lot of ways, in a breakup, you're kind of excited because you get some freedom back. You get to do whatever you want, whenever you want. You don't have to check in with anybody. So you get that freedom of the off season of, you know, not every day you don't have to be somewhere and you can relax with your family or your dog in your case, and you can just enjoy life. But every once in a while, you're like, man, that's over. That sucks. That's not how I anticipated it was going to go. That's sort of how I feel about the end of this year. And I kind of go back to something that Chris Antonetti said during uh, his year-end press conference with us, that last year they knew Game 7, regardless of outcome, win or lose, the season was over. And if you don't make the playoffs, Game 162, regardless of what happens in that game, you know the season's over. When you make the playoffs and you don't win at all, there's there's always that sense of the the rug kind of getting ripped out from underneath you, and if mm-hmm. you or I are sitting here talking about that and we just watch the games and write about the games and have no impact on what happens on the field, how do you feel the the players actually feel right now? Are are they feeling the same way as fans and even in your and I in our case the the writers are feeling? Well, first I feel like we should put a disclaimer out there that. There will be plenty of new content on The Athletic for the next four months. It's not like we're hibernating here. Um, we'll have tons of Indian stuff and, and other things as well, so don't worry. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's the, the thing that's interesting to me is how different it is from last year, too. And we've talked about it at nauseum. Yes, we know. After the World Series last year, the Indians were ready to board a, a plane and, and head to spring training right away. But I, you know, I, I ran into Jason Kipnis about a week after the season ended last year, um, and I, I was just talking to him and, and asking him, like, how do you feel? Like, what have you processed everything? And he was saying he hadn't really processed anything because his the, the extra month of baseball took such a toll on his body that he was 
he didn't even know he never had thought to expect that like you, when you're going toward the playoffs you have all the adrenaline and momentum you're excited and you don't think or realize what 15 20 extra games does to your body and so i think by the time the indians players re- recovered last year physically um and we remember francisco lindor said he he didn't move from his couch for two weeks after the season ended I think they were so excited for the next season because of what they had accomplished that it made the offseason go so quick, and I don't think it was a big deal. And I know that this year it's, it's completely different, and I think there's going to be uh, an adjustment period, and, and it's going to take some time before they get to that, that excitement for, for spring training. I think, I think it's going to be tough, and I think it's going to make the offseason seem longer, even though I mean, it's longer to begin with because they made a first-round exit. But it's, this is going to be brutal. Yeah, brutal for them and, and brutal for the front office too, because now they've got to sit there and go through some of these things that you and I, as you and I were talking about, like a day after the season ended. You you go from thinking about matchups and who who which who should go in game three, who should go in game four, what should the roster look like, all of those things, and then the next day you're talking about what's Carlos Santana's future in Cleveland? Where's Michael Brantley going to end up? Do they pick up the option there? Should, should they sign Brian Shaw? And like all these things just kind of almost like a, an avalanche where you just weren't, weren't expecting it. And then they get thrust into a, a situation where, yeah, they always have an eye towards that. But I'm sure even for them, they weren't exactly anticipating getting to that point of the season as of yet. I, and that's kind of the sense that just walking around the locker room that night that's that's sort of how the players looked, and I know Antonetti was was down there, just kind of thanking everyone for their contributions individually and and talking to players. But it was it was almost like a lot of people were just shell shocked, um, and and maybe even some of us included. And you take a couple of days to process that, and it's still as you're watching the playoffs, at least for me, it still sort of feels surreal that you know the team that we watched play so well down the stretch, and we sort of anticipated. Uh, having another long October run isn't part of this. And now you're watching the team that, that beat the Indians in five games play a team that we thought the Indians would match up against. It's just, it's been, I don't know. It's just been odd to sort of process all of this. Yeah. I mean, last year the Indians assigned part of their front office to just start planning for the off season while the Indians were still making their postseason run right. just because Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff were dealing with the daily nuts and bolts. And there was plenty to deal with when you talked about Kluber and pitching on three days rest and Bauer in the drone and, and Tomlin and should they carry three catchers? I mean, there were a lot of things in the, in the postseason. So they had to have people back in the offices already strategizing. What are we going to do in free agency? What are we going to give some of these guys in arbitration? Whose options are we going to pick up? Who's are we going to decline? What are we going to do with qualifying offers? There's so much that goes into it. And, and, this is no silver lining or, or benefit, but they, they do have more time to prepare this year uh, as, a, as an entire staff. So that, that's one difference. Um, I, I also think about it if you're, if you're a Cleveland sports fan too, and, and this is, I mean, personally, I, I grew up here. I, I, Cleveland sports is all I know. And a few days after the Indian season ends, I think everyone had finally gotten over it, or not gotten over it, but moved on to the next thing. And what is that next thing? It's the most dysfunctional franchise in sports history. And it's the Browns down 33-3 to in Houston in a game that certain radio stations were, were saying 
was the the Browns had in the bag. And, and so it's like to go from the disappointment of the Indians to the just the constant uh, embarrassment of the Browns, who are now one in one in twenty two the last two years. It's just like like even though the Cavs have started, it's 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 what do you have to look forward to? The Indians well, have I mean, a constant every day. Even if they weren't a 102-win team, at least you had something. At least if they lose yeah. one day, they play again the next day. And now it's like, uh, it's just it's the winter is so long. <laughs> Plus the Cavs, I mean, for as as good as they are, and as much as everyone believes they'll be back in the finals, there'll be um, a little bit of some nuance at the beginning, just because the roster is so different. But mm-hmm. you know, how long is that going to last? You know, you go, okay, I'm excited to see Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose in a Cavs uniform, and this is going to be so weird. And in what a week, two weeks, it's back to okay, this is pretty much like preseason basketball until you what get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So you don't even get the right. you don't even get the benefit there of some some real true excitement, something to kind of grab onto. So in in that in that vein, it it really is. I mean, like getting the, the carpet ripped out from under you. you. You don't have a lot on a daily basis that you're that you're really the right. Not concern isn't the right word, but you just there. There isn't as much to be as invested in, I guess, right now during the off season for the Indians, and and it'll be interesting one. And <laughs> you and I were talking about this. You're going to have so much time to to dive into. You know, what are they going to do with this guy's option, and should they pick this this up? And, and they have until three days after the World Series to figure out a lot of these things. And so we have next week and we've got some time ahead that we'll get to those sorts of things. But, you know, this was that kind of in-between period where we, we sort of wrapped up, did a lot of the second guessing on the last podcast, and we did our, our diamond dialogue on our second Wait, guessing. We, we did a podcast last week? <laughs> Apparently. I don't know how it got posted, and I don't know how we're still sitting here with jobs or the guys that were on the podcast still have jobs for that matter. I guess it proves no one really does listen to this thing. Um but you know, since we did that, we looked back last week. We we're gonna look ahead in the weeks ahead. I felt like this would have been a, an ideal time and have been so much better, Zach, if the Indians were actually I don't know still playing. But you know, a lot of people wonder what it's sort of like behind the scenes in the playoffs because it's a little bit of a different animal, even for just for the players, of course. And there's different start times, but also for the media covering it, it's a completely different setting, unlike anything you'll ever see. And I thought it would be fun this week to sort of take our minds off of what happened last week and, and you know, before we start getting into sinking our teeth into 2018 to just sort of give the fans a little bit of a pullback on the curtain, what it's like to cover a team in the postseason. So let me start with you. What, what, what's the biggest thing that you could, the, the biggest takeaway, the biggest observation you could offer to somebody about covering a playoff team? Well, if you're... If you're full bore and you're covering playoff baseball, start to finish, road, home, the workout, travel days, I mean, it's, you don't know what it takes out of you until you go through it once. And lucky for us, <laughs> the first time a lot of us went through it was last year when it was, they played till the end and into November. And I just remember, I mean, I, we, we've talked about this. I, I think I got home after game seven, as my wife's alarm was going off at 6.30 in the morning, and I just I fell asleep immediately and woke up at 3.30 in the afternoon, only because my boss kept calling me. And so, 
it's it's it takes a lot out of you, and that's that's also what makes this year weird. Is is I don't know about you, TJ, but I, I kind of like took a deep breath right before the playoffs started, and was like, all right, here we go. I'm not going to see my family for a month. I'm not going to talk to any outside uh, friends or anything for a month. I'm not going to get sleep for a month. We're going to be booking flights the night before they take off. We're going to be booking hotel rooms. Uh, in advance that we might not need and and it's just it's so chaotic I, you know I was ready to not work out for a month and gain it's like <laughs> you gain, gain the freshman 15 every October and yeah that's my excuse yeah I just didn't <laughs> have time I, I don't know what happened and, and so it, it's it, it's weird when you it's like you get the rug pulled out from under you when the Indians are up to nothing and we had already booked hotels for for Houston and Boston and we're looking at flights, we're looking at tickets for the Browns-Texans game on that workout day. and, um, <laughs> and then whoa, it, it doesn't... You were looking at tickets, my friend. <laughs> I was not looking at anywhere close to this. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big uh, – I covered Braxton Miller, so I really wanted to see him up close. But, no, it's, it's, it's just chaotic, and it's, it's fun. But it's – you hear baseball players say it all the time, like you can't take a step back and realize – what you're involved in until it's over. And when it's over, you're so drained that you don't want to take a step back and think about it. Yeah, all of the the adrenaline that gets you through it, once that's gone <laughs> and the, the lack of energy um, becomes apparent, you do. You just, you just crash. And it, this, is just, this is just for us in our experience. Sometimes I, I, I wonder how the players do it, especially teams that – make the playoffs year after year after year. And maybe maybe it does get easier with experience that you just kind of know how to go into it. I, I would say even from our standpoint, you know, out, outside of 2013, the wild card game, that was our only playoff experience covering uh, as reporters and writers. So last year going in, I didn't really have an idea what to expect this year going in. I, I honestly felt like the first two games of the series didn't even feel like playoff games. It was it was kind of weird, um, but it's everything is just thrown off of if it's routine. And it's weird, Zach, that baseball being such a routine oriented sport, where every every day you show up to the park at the same time, uh, every day you go through the same rituals at the same time. You know, pitchers go out on the field, they throw whether it's home or road, they do it at the same time. Everyone hits in the cages at the same time, and then the playoffs get there. And all hell breaks loose. <laughs> you got certain game times at 8 o'clock, certain game times at 7.30, some at 5. You never play a game at 5, but here's 5 o'clock playoff games. Some How about the Red four. Sox and the Astros didn't know what time they were going to play game 4 right. until the Yankees-Indians game ended at 11.30 p.m. the next night. And then it ended up they had to play at 1 in the afternoon. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and the scheduling is weird. No one knows what channel the games are on. <laughs> Um, it's, you're right. It's for, it's, I think it's a factor in why the postseason is, is such a crapshoot. Like everyone says, yeah. right? Exactly. Because there are so many variables that are just thrown off and, you know, for a, a team like the Indians that just preaches each and every day going about the same things, never putting too much emphasis on anything. And then this gets here and it, it is, it's just, I don't know how you maintain that same level of focus every day because, Everything is so thrown off. And I, I know for me, I, I am so routine-oriented, and even the smallest details that get thrown off really bother me. Even it's for, like for us, and no one wants to hear us complain about our jobs, but even when you show up for 
to, to cover a game and there's extra security and there's an, another la- layer of that and it takes you longer to get in. And it's just like those small little details that happen in the postseason get you flustered that I, I, as a player, I can't imagine how you get through those sorts of things in, in a completely different environment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like, what do they say, church and people who go to church only on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> and we see, you know, th- there are days during the year when there are, even at home, just a select handful of, of reporters covering the team. And, and on the road, there are maybe four of us tops, right? And so it, it's the players notice it too. And, and I think you get to the playoffs and there's just this entire clubhouse full of camera people and TV people who these, these guys see on opening day and they see in the playoffs and that's it. Or on the rare chance that there's the 22 game winning streak. <laughs> and so it's, it creates a different atmosphere. The, the players, you know, they'll, they'll laugh it off, but you do, you do think about things differently. I'm guessing you probably go about, your routine a little differently because you don't want to get stranded in the clubhouse and have to be that guy who talks to a couple reporters and then the whole <laughs> horde of reporters comes over and bombards them and then all the cameramen finally walk away and then one or two reporters stick around. Next thing you know, you're wasting 30, 40 minutes of your, your pregame routine. So it, it's, it is, it's so different from so many standpoints and you get reporters who have never covered the team or have covered them like once and we don't know how they get credentials and they ask the most ridiculous questions and then players get peeved. And I mean, it's, it's, you see this in every sport and I think it's even more so in baseball just because it's 162 games. So you're not going to have the, you know, the face of of the, uh, the local NBC affiliate uh, sports team coming up 81 times. But um, when it is so far and few between it's, it's more noticeable and it's like, we, we just stand there and, and laugh. And I think the players, you know, I, I remember Dan Otero and a couple other relievers sitting playing cards, just laughing at how many, how, how big of a media contingent there was for a playoff game. Like, we won 102 games. Where have you guys been? <laughs> yeah, I, I know on two separate occasions during the playoffs, the media swarmed, I think it was Cody Allen at his locker. And it was just a horde, a mass of people. And the best way I can describe a, a group of reporters is we look like grazing cattle. That's it's, it's unfortunate and I hate doing it because I know it looked so stupid, but whenever a player is at his locker and every reporter wants to go over there and talk to him, it's just a bunch of as they make their way over to the their locker and Brian Shaw, you know, bless the poor guy is, is waiting after he comes out of the shower and he's just trying to go get dressed and he's, he's still standing there basically in a towel waiting as the cow crossing goes across the room and he's just waiting and waiting and waiting and he's just exchanging awkward glances as he's just trying to get to his locker. Mm-hmm. Everything is just uh, so ridiculous in the postseason and it's, it's not necessarily the volume of people, Zach, because I was talking to Tyler Olson even before the playoffs began. And he said, you know, the, the number itself isn't that, isn't that much different than like, say in New York, because he had pitched a little bit with the Yankees. And he said, the, the number that's in here right now, the media contingent is pretty much on par with what you'd see on an average day in New York, which isn't surprising. What is a little odd, as you said, it's, it's not the number, it's who is in there <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the questions that are being asked. Name names. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I could. Some of them I don't know who, who they actually are. But the one that stuck out to me this postseason was the one – I don't think you or I are in the room, but Ryan Lewis of the Akron Beacon Journal told us the story of Corey Kluber after game two. And I'll explain why this actually sort of made me upset afterwards. But after game two, everyone's crowding into – there's a, a room outside of the – of the actual locker room that's across the hall where they'll bring in uh, Terry Francona every night, usually the starting pitcher every night when they're at home, goes into that room. Well, they brought Corey Kluber into that room after game two, and of course he didn't have a, a very good outing, and everyone's crowding into the room, and there's a cameraman up front, and as everyone's still kind of crowding around and getting in place, he, he just basically yells at Kluber, well, how'd that go? And that was the first question. <laughs> and, well, for Kluber, it, it didn't go very well. And the, the unfortunate part of starting a press conference with how that go after a game like that is, well, you probably aren't going to get the best responses after that after you've ticked the guy off. And that's probably what, I guess, annoys me more than anything is, you know, you, you know this better than anybody. When, you, when you're talking to, to players or coaches or, or front office members or whoever, you know, there's a, there's an art of doing it and and not not appearing like you're dropping in trying to get the the sniper gotcha question because when you do that, it shuts off the the athlete or the the front office member, coach, whomever, and they're not going to give you a great response. You know, there's a certain art to doing it. You're having a conversation, you're developing relationships so that you actually get the best answers. And dropping in and saying how'd that go after he had one of his worst outings of the season probably wasn't the way to kick us off. Yeah, you know, I've always thought post-game interviews are not a waste of time, but, like, if you're going in to a, to a group setting five minutes after a game and expecting to come away with incredible material, you're probably fooling yourself. But that, that sort of opening question is a <laughs> surefire way to guarantee you are going to get absolutely nothing useful. And not only that, but also um, kind of, you know, that – Kluber, he already was, but if he wasn't, he's going to be jaded toward the media and, and answering their questions. And it's, there are guys who've been around long enough who know the familiar faces mm -hmm. are, are going to do things in a manner in which they're cool with because there's experience there, familiarity there. But when you get certain guys who maybe haven't been in the league too long or or haven't been around long enough to know which media members are around every day, sometimes a question like that by an unfamiliar face ruins it for everybody. And there's not going to be that um, benefit of the doubt for the guys who are there all the time, the guys who have the ability to get the good quote, to get the, the enlightening stuff that other people won't get. So it, it is frustrating for us. We probably uh, make a bigger deal out of it than, than fans would care to make, but um, it, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, it's, you know, we've, we've worked on this for a long time with Trevor Bauer and, and I think finally made some headway this year to, right. to establish a relationship where he either can trust us more or just knows that we're not looking to just, uh, you know, claw at him or we're looking to kind of understand him. So yeah, it is tough. And especially with a guy like Kluber, who's usually closed off anyway, then that's just not ideal. Well, I mean, in, in our position, you're, you're looking for reasons why certain things went certain ways. And if a player gives you the old cliche that usually they will in a group setting, then that doesn't really answer in our questions. I do get frustrated when a player 
<clears throat> is is honest with their answer. And I, I know Trevor Bauer had this happen last year where he gave an honest response to how he was feeling. Um, and it got twisted in such a way that people were saying that he was making excuses on the radio the next day. And it, I guess that got under my skin a little bit because, you know, when you have a breakthrough with someone where they're going to give you something that's different than the cliche, even if it's not something that you agree with, if, if you think he's off base, that the fact that a player is doing that, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put that in a position where we don't get that again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So those, those sorts of things are delicate when, when someone who doesn't have that experience drops in and starts asking questions in a, a certain way that do sort of look like the gotcha sniper questions. I, I think most players, if they, if they can understand that you're just genuinely curious or you've put thought into a question more often than not, even if it's not the, the, the fluffiest question in the world, we'll give you a pretty good response to it. But <laughs> dropping in saying, how'd that go? You know, you might be able to get away with that. <laughs> Jordan then, Bastion or, or maybe even Paul Hoynes can get away with that. Probably not cameraman from Channel didn't 5. He, didn't, he, didn't that guy at the end of the Kluber press conference then ask if they were going to try to get a win in game three in New York. Like we thought, we thought that first question was, Oh man, it can't get any lower than this. Guess what? The Browns aren't the only ones who can uh, surprise you with new lows. So you guys going to go to New York, I assume, and, and try to try to win a game. We try to win every game that we play. Thank you. <laughs> turns out the joke was on us because they actually, Went Whoops. to New York and laid a couple of eggs. Yikes. Well, that cameraman was probably on to something. Yeah. It's it's fun to to be a part of it. It's frustrating at times, too, for every time you sit back and laugh at the the way that, that everything is kind of handled. It also gets frustrating when you might be talking to a player and then you get swarmed by three cameramen as you were standing there by yourself talking to said player. It's part of this atmosphere and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to learn to love it because nothing you can do is going to change it. How about just the amount of time that is between when we go down and talk to the manager pregame and then the time between that and when the game is played? You know, During the regular season, we get that availability in the locker room, and based off of that, we might have stuff to write. There might be something from Tito to write. In the playoffs, you talk to the manager, and there generally isn't a lot of stuff to write off of just that because it's going to change in three hours. But it's just so weird where it, it, the playoffs are the epitome of hurry up to wait. Yeah, it, it, it really is. I remember, I think it was game five when I <laughs> looked at the clock. And I was like, all right, I think I'm just about done with my pregame stuff. And there were three and a half hours until first. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what should I get for, should I get something for dinner? Should I drive to Columbus to get it? Like, um, yeah, there's a lot of downtime. And you know what, though? I think there's a lot of downtime for the players, too. And I, right. sometimes I wonder if, if they dislike that because it, it's, you spend so much time, especially in, in a game five situation, you spend so much time thinking about, Oh man, are we gonna are we gonna finish this thing out? Are we gonna choke this lead away? Like, what's gonna happen? And and I can go to the batting cages and then come back and eat a pregame meal and then like I still have all this time to kill. It's more time to think about what we're doing and are we gonna really let this thing slip away? And it's, you know, you just it's like a downward spiral and it's uh, it's it's I feel like that's dangerous and um, I do always wonder, especially because we don't get 
pregame access during the playoffs, um, what those guys are doing. And is, is Ryan Merritt just sitting there playing Clash of Clans for three hours? Or is, is he studying film and, and thinking things over and over and over again before he, he faces the Blue Jays and, and Jose Bautista in, in a hostile environment? I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, and it's, it's another example, like you said, of just how different the postseason is from the regular season. It's crazy. So here's here's the question. Put yourself in in Ryan Merritt's boots, so to speak. What, uh-huh. what would you be doing for three hours before the game? You can uh, you can go be... hit in a cage. You can go smash some food. What what would you be doing? Well, making sure my fantasy football lineup is set. Well, that hasn't helped you so far. Um, and is this where I'm supposed to make an HBD reference? If you would like to. I was. I have that written down somewhere. I had to call you out for something. But if you would like to bring that up now, you can. Yeah, I mean, it, I honestly think, like, it, not for the entire afternoon leading up to a game, but, like, it's probably healthy to play Clash of Clans. Or, I mean, they have a freaking Mario Kart arcade set up in the Indians clubhouse. And it's probably a good thing to do before games just to, especially a playoff game, to take your mind off of it. So it doesn't just... The pressure doesn't just fester in your brain and and kind of freak you out. The worst thing, like for me, leading up to something is always the anticipation. Once you're actually going through whatever it is that you are worried about, you're always like, oh, okay, well, this this isn't as bad as what you thought it was. But leading up to that moment, man, that sucks. And I can't imagine it's it's any any different for the players. And I, I know that's part of why they 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 bring in some of those outside things to kind of give them distractions. I know there's probably certain people that don't understand why there would be a video game in the middle of the of the the locker room, but man, if you if all you did was focused on your craft and did nothing but focus on that and all the things you could do to screw up and and got inside your own head enough, I don't know how you'd be able to perform ever. You you absolutely need those sorts of distractions and if a team mm-hmm. if a team is 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 mature enough. They're able to handle those things and, and not let that consume them. And I don't think I've ever seen Jose Ramirez, you know, late to come to the plate because he was playing rainbow road, but it is healthy to have those sorts of things in the clubhouse just to, I don't know, for your own mental health. So you're not just so wrapped up in everything all the time. So in, in eighth grade, I got the ball for our playoff start. Okay. And I had a driveway that was, very steep, and I are was you better, so excited. At, right at this very moment, are you better than Mike Pelfrey <laughs> in eighth grade? Yeah, that was that was my prime. Um, and I, the the whole I was excited for it. I wasn't nervous. I was just like I wanted whatever time it started. I wanted six o'clock to get here, and it's the summer, so school's out. So I had nothing to do all day. Play a little MVP baseball. Well, no. How, what year would that have been? Okay, MVP Baseball 2005 wasn't out yet, but that is the greatest video game ever created. Let's say it was a Triple Play 99. Um, play that for a little bit. Then I would go outside, and on our driveway, you know, it's really steep. I would just pitch against our – we had like a brick surrounding our garage. So I would just throw it against the brick. It would bounce down the driveway back to me. At no point am I thinking, oh, it's probably a really bad strategy to be throwing uphill like this. 
And not only that, but also like throwing for hours and hours and hours before I'm going to go pitch. I did claim to have a rubber arm, not quite up to Trevor Bauer's standards, but what was your durability rating? It was like a 96. It was crazy. (laughs) Um, And I get to the game that night feeling great. And every pitch I throw is high in the zone. And I walked more people than I'd ever walked. And I think I went like two and two thirds and then I got yanked and we lost in the first round. And we were, we were really good. And it was like, well, if, if I would have just had something to do, if I would have just played video games the whole day, or if I would have gone to the mall, or if I would have anything, instead of just pitching all day on a driveway that's uphill, I probably would have pitched well. So And so, yes, so, video games are helpful. Anything to take your mind off. I think I, think I see what you're, where you're getting here. Do you see the correlation? That you, you had a, a mechanical issue? Corey Kluber <laughs> had a mechanical issue? Perhaps if Kluber had spent more time goofing off and going to the mall and playing video games, he'd have been much better in games two and five. But because, you know, all he cares about is baseball and being a robot, you know, he, his arm dropped, his slot dropped, and then he, everything was flat. So we've, we've reached the correlation, the point in the podcast where we've actually shined some positive light on what happened. Well, there's going to be a, an in-depth story on The Athletic at some point in the next calendar year, I'd, I'd say. Or maybe it's not anything that comes out until 20 years down the road, but there's got to be some expose on what really happened with Corey Kluber. How, how, does, how does some guy who's pitching like Bob Gibson for four months just randomly lose his mechanics and at the worst possible time? And of course, it's like the leading cause of the downfall of the top-seeded Indians and their best chance to snap a 69-going-on-70-year championship trout. Like, how, how does that happen? There, there has to be... Something there. Either he was pitching on his driveway too much, <laughs> or he wasn't playing enough Mario Kart. I, I, I mean, if you look at if you look at his his release chart, you can see uh, somewhere yeah. in that last month where it's com- a complete drop off. But why? It's something, and I know this is something that Mickey Callaway has talked about not just this year, but years years past, where teams have been really anxious to get Kluber in the stretch because they feel like that can mess with his mechanics early. Once you let him settle in to his mechanics, it's basically lights out. So if you get after Kluber, you've got to do it early. You've got to get him in the stretch. And that was something the teams used to use as their game plan very early on, whether it was 2013, 2014, 2015, Corey Kluber, because mechanics is something that he has to to not not fight, but something he has to really maintain. And if it was something where maybe, and I, I think it's too much to say, maybe even injured or hurt, maybe are both too strong of words, but if it's something where, you know, the bat's just a little bit tender and he alters his mechanics even in the slightest way without even thinking about it because the body is compensating for it. And then on top of that, he's thrown a ton of innings down the stretch. And in in the actual moment, it's tough to rip the Indians for that because, well, hell, he just went seven, eight shutout innings. What are you supposed to say about that? He's efficient and he's setting guys down. Why would you pull him out of the game with only 80 pitches? That wouldn't make any sense. But in retrospect, you can look back and say, well, you know, maybe the fact that he still managed to log 200 innings despite missing a month of the season wasn't the best course of action. And if you could go back in time, maybe having him pull back the reins a little bit before you got to that drop-in arm slot, maybe that would have been the way to go. Well, 
no matter what the cause was, we know the effect. And uh, to me, that will be the uh, the leading cause for why we're sitting here talking about pitching in driveways and <laughs> media foofs uh, instead of talking about this the ALCS, really. Um, it's When this book is written, I mean, we, we, we can reflect back on the 90s and say, okay, 95, that was just one of the most incredible teams we'll ever witness. 96 was eerily reminiscent of, of the year we just watched. 97 was obviously the, the heartbreak um, in Game 7 against the Marlins after a season in which the Indians took a long time to gel. 98 was weird. That was just kind of the Yankees' year. And then 99, we know, is the most prolific offense in the last 60 years, and Pedro Martinez and the Red Sox came back. And, and so we look back at that 90s run, and we can like identify certain things that led to the Indians' downfall or shortcomings, or and, and obviously a lot of things that were great too. And I think eventually we'll look back at this era because I think there are several more playoff um, berths in the Indians' near future and and it's going to be interesting to see how we we kind of qualify 2017 just in terms of like if they win a championship it, it won't be that big of a deal yeah. uh it's like you know no one still frets over the the year that uh the Cavs suffered all those injuries against the Warriors because they won it the next year but if they don't win it this might look like the biggest missed opportunity and I, I think maybe we point to Corey Kluger's ineffectiveness in two starts as, as kind of the leading factor in that. Yeah. I, I still, it's the one thing I still can't get past. And I, I know we cover this at length uh, in our diamond dialogue, just looking at all the different things that went wrong and things you could second guess. I, I think Terry Francona plays a role. I think the, the people that were helping him make decisions play a role in this. The offense certainly plays a role in this, though you have to give some credit to the Yankees pitchers on the other side for shutting them down. The defense absolutely plays a gigantic role in this, but it's really difficult to have Corey Kluber pitch like he did in two games in a five-game series and win it. And they almost did, but to have your ace pitch like that in two of the five games, it, it will forever in my mind stick out as the the one thing I'll always remember. You want to talk about Roster construction, defense, offense, all that sort of thing. And it's all part of it. Uh, because if you score more than one run in, or you score more than zero runs in game three, it's a completely different thing. If Aaron Judge isn't six foot nine or whatever he is and robs Lindor of a home run, it's a completely different thing. But Kluber pitching not like Kluber in two of those five games was really, was really tough for me to wrap my brain around. Because this, as we talked about at length in September, was the deepest Indians team that I think any of us, including the 90s, had ever seen. Just as far as organizational depth goes and the injuries that they sustained. And it got down to the end. And maybe it was that depth that ended up crippling them because they ended up going with the wrong guys. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't have to rehash this, right? Well, I just think like... Zach, it's 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 like it comes back to that point that you made last week. You know, when do they have a better shot at this? And for the Indians front office, how do you go about making a team better? And I just feel like if there's anybody that would know that feeling, it would be you who oh, no. has been through this multiple times with your hardball dynasty franchise, the Cleveland Rocks. And <laughs> 
And unfortunately, despite the fact that you've won 100 games and you've been in the playoffs for, what, six straight seasons? Oh, hold, hold, hold up, hold up. Seven hold straight seasons? How Nine many... consecutive playoff appearances. We have won our division. We've won our division eight of those nine years. The other year we tied and ended up with a wild card. Five ALCS appearances, three World Series appearances. And, and while all of this is happening, you have one of the best hitters in the game. In Kurt Malone, you have yeah. probably the second best pitcher, third best pitcher in the game in a Nuri Escobar. And how many World Series titles do you have? None. Absolutely none. How and do you make a better team than what you've had over the past nine years? You don't. And I actually think this is relatable um, because <laughs> there are this, people that this... are looking at what in the holy hell <laughs> are these guys talking about? So we've referenced HPD many times, but it's it's this nerd fake fantasy baseball league that we're in. With, it's almost all baseball writers across the country, and it's highly competitive, highly nerdy, and highly time-consuming. Um, and it takes and place highly... on, on What If Sports, to sort right. of give them a shout-out, whatifsports.com. So, so I do think I can relate, though, a little bit in this respect. Every, <laughs> you know, we, we, the first time we made the World Series, which was like seven seasons ago, we blew a 3-1 lead to a vastly inferior team. What do they have, 85 wins going into the postseason? 86, I think, and we yeah. had 106. And so... Do you still, to this day, have nightmares about Stuart Slocum? Oh, yeah. And you guys don't let me forget it. But but it's it it tarnished the regular season for me. Like I when when is our opening night or opening day is is Wednesday of this week for the new season. And everyone's excited. There, you know, August Fagerstrom, who used to cover the Indians, now works for the Milwaukee Brewers, is in the league. And he's all excited because this is the year his rebuilding team is gonna take the leap, he thinks. Except for I ruined his offseason. <laughs> I, just, I just completely destroyed it. And on the other end, you have us, who the Cleveland Rocks will probably win 95 to 100 games again and just hope that things pan out in the playoffs for the first time in ever. <laughs> and it's like, it's hard to get excited for the regular season. Spring training is miserable, and nothing really matters until the playoffs. And I think that's what it's going to be like for the Indians, and I think that's what it's going to be like for a lot of the fan base, just, mm-hmm. you know, how do you get excited if they win 10 in a row in June? Like, okay, that's nice. Who cares? I feel like there's going to be a lot of that no matter what they do. It's going to be, you know, Lindor could hit another, have another 30 home run season, and Jose Ramirez could follow up his MVP caliber type year with another one, and Kluber could come back next year and have, uh, an ERA of two at the all-star break and everyone will say, okay, well, where were you guys last October? Mm. And, and it's, it's unfortunate because you'd like to be able to separate it a little bit, but it's also their fault. You know, you, you can only right. feel sorry for them so much. They're the people that have the direct impact on it. The only thing that stinks is from, from our standpoint on a daily basis, trying to, to find people that or find things that people are going to want to find interesting there's always going to be a sense of no matter what we write about and no matter what gets covered, no matter what gets talked about, sort of like with the Cavs, you're not going to be able to enjoy the ride of the regular season as much because the, the bar has been raised. And that's, 
I guess I think that's the unfortunate aspect of it is that it takes a lot of the fun out of the journey of a regular season, which, as we learned this year, can be a hell of a time. If your, t- your team's winning 22 games and going on historic runs, and you know, you'll never be able to take that away from them in the regular season. But if they do that again next year, you're not going to be able to enjoy it in the same vein because of the way they melted down in October. Right. Yeah. It's it's weird, it, and it's why it's why I struggle with with this off season, just as a casual sports enjoyer, because it's hard to get excited about the the NBA when the Warriors are just a, a ridiculous favorite in Vegas. Like you would you would win so much more money if you bet on the other twenty nine teams winning the championship than than the Warriors, which is ridiculous. Um, and I, I, the NFL, I mean, I think it's kind of watered down, and the Browns are 0-6, and it is what it is. But it, it, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a weird time for sports. Like, the NBA is predictable. College football has, ex, ex, has its exciting weeks, but Bama, Bama is still Bama. And I, it, it's kind of nice that baseball has the parody and the randomness of the postseason. Um, Until but, it bites your team. That, that's what fans will say. And, you know, right. it's great for the Indians fans last year. It was fantastic because they weren't supposed to do what they did. This year, where everyone's picking them and they fall flat on their face, nobody's going to enjoy that parody. No one's going to enjoy mm-hmm. that randomness. All right. So let me ask you this Have you, you know, we, we this journey started in February. I was working for a different company. Um, your son was about half the size. My dog was one tenth of the size. Uh, it's it was it's a long season. Even if you you don't make it to the World Series, it's still you think back about spring training in in February, yeah. and it's it's crazy. And so, do you do anything to like officially mark the end of the season to to treat yourself to say, you know what? I just covered a, a ridiculous grind of 162 games plus spring training plus the postseason. I deserve to do X. Is there anything you, you do? In years past, I mean, this is when you would catch up on sleep. And this we're in that, that grace period, so to speak. And it's a little bit different because the Indians might have some some coaches that might end up elsewhere. But you're in this weird grace period where you don't expect any roster moves, no big signings. And we'll get to that point where things could happen at three in the morning here pretty soon. But, you know, for the next two, three weeks, nothing big is going to happen. There's no huge news. So you can kind of put down your phone a little bit, not really pay as much attention, uh, you know, not freak out for every notification that gets sent your way or have to constantly be thinking. So I, I just enjoy and I've tried to do this the last few days, it's just shutting my brain down. <laughs> and some might argue, my wife included, that I do that on a daily basis anyways, but just being able to to just sort of defragment and, you know, whether it's just do things that you don't usually get to do on a daily basis. You know, tonight we uh, we we went to dinner and unfortunately Ethan wanted no part of, of that at all. He He is normally an angel whenever we go out, but not tonight. He was... Uh, a devil incarnate, and so we ended up rewarding him by taking him to the the Halloween store because you made our light and our night a living hell. So now we're gonna have the spider that jumps out at you and kind of freak <laughs> you out. Um, but <laughs> just to be able to do those sorts of little things 
uh, I have a greater enjoyment for now, of course, being a little bit later in life too, but just knowing everything that happens be between the beginning of spring training and up till now to be able to take a few weeks to, to, to be able to do some of the things we don't get to do in season, I, I think is kind of nice. What about for you? Yeah. You know, last year I had, uh, I booked a trip to Vegas. And so, so I went like a week after the, the season ended. Um, this year, it's tough. So we have our honeymoon in November, and that was booked according to plan, thinking just in case there's a championship parade, uh, we would have enough time. And, and now I'm left with a few weeks that I didn't necessarily think that I would have, so I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs. Um, but kind of like you said, like shutting your brain off, I mean, the, the first couple days after the season ends every year, I, I, I'm, I like – I can't speak English. <laughs> like, my wife will, will that, that's when she does the most laughing because the stuff that comes out of my mouth just makes no sense or I'm saying words backwards or sentences backwards. And I mean, we probably got a taste of it on that podcast that you claim that went up last week after game five. I don't really have any recollection of it. Um, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just a, a mental mess for at least a few days afterwards. And, um, yeah, it's it it's it's hard. You shut your brain off, but like sometimes I just I can't even function. I don't even know how to like put on shoes. Yeah, well, I've seen you struggle with that enormously in the press box <laughs> and stumble upstairs and this is true. Just fail to execute normal things. So, I think in in that regard, we're we're a lot alike because there's not a lot that we're actually good at. So, we have to just hope that baseball season comes back again and that we can do some writing and analysis and ask questions and do all those sorts of things. Because if it actually came to real world things that I could do, I am pretty empty on those sorts of things. Well, you can join me in some basket weaving, some, <laughs> uh, some uh, gardening was a popular suggestion, cooking classes. Um, I don't know. A lot, Fencing? A lot of things like that. You want, to, you want to take up fencing? Nothing that's dangerous or could be could hurt. Right. You wouldn't want to actually use any of that energy that you now have. I will that, say one thing, you know, and I probably should do this. I, I used to be pretty good at Spanish. I took it for something like seven or eight years during school. I just want to become fluent. And I don't know if Rosetta Stone can do that, but if I just studied Spanish all off season and then showed up in the clubhouse in spring training and, and during the regular season and the players had no idea that I knew every word they were saying, all the things they were making fun of about us, that would be pretty pretty efficient use of time. It would. But then again, that seems like a lot of work. And I don't think yeah, it's I as simple as... probably learn English first. <laughs> I don't think it's as simple as they make it sound. They just put in the cassette. And, what do you know? They wake up the next day and... Me, me amo. No, that's not how this works. No, I'm, I don't think so. Although I... I would pay uh, a decent amount of money for the first time you walked up to Jose Ramirez and start just started speaking in Spanish to him. The the face he would I make. would love to see the reaction because that would mean, you know, a, a, a barrier that has been there is, is no longer there. And all of those things, as you said, that they do to make fun of us, <laughs> we you you are now there understanding every word. But then again, most of the things they do say about us are transitional to any language. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, well, 
it's mid-October, so we've got about four months until spring training. So, I don't know. You want to keep doing this for four months? Do we yeah. have enough things to talk about? I guess we could each each week. It could be a different activity or hobby that we're trying out. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Next week, basket weaving. The week after that, your favorite stamps. <laughs> I think that would be exhilarating. But my phone is at eight percent. And that would be my signal to say farewell, my friend. It's been fun. And it's, uh, man, Browns have the Titans this weekend. Uh, you want to get like, together and watch some Brownies football? We you could, wanna, you know, woof at your television with me. We could go to a pumpkin patch. We could pick apples. <laughs> we could do all of those things. And there's so much time for it. So I look forward to next week. Sounds good, TJ. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. If you search The Athletic Cleveland, you will find us there, The Selby is Godcast. We're also on SoundCloud. We're also on Bumpers and uh, Stitcher. Stitcher. Uh, Basically, anywhere that has an RSS feed and it feeds into that, we're there. So we have an RSS feed that feeds places that, I don't even know how our podcasts get there, but they are there. So be sure to subscribe to us there. And uh, quick go f- plug. Go ahead. Uh, Wednesday. Not that anyone's listening anymore, uh, but Wednesday, top 25 random jersey sightings of this season. Should be uh, fun for those few fans who uh, really care and, and send those in. It who was cares, tough Zach? narrowing it. Who narrowing cares? It they down blew it from, in October. Yeah, good point. It was tough to narrow it down from 50 to 25. Like, the honorable mention is crazy. I Trevor can't. Crow didn't even make the cut. Wow, dude. Well, there'll be no, no, uh, no lack of people actually asking if that is actually the player that is in the photo. But, yeah. but every time, it sure is like the first time. So thank you to everybody that subscribes to us every week. And uh, before we do get out of here, thanks to everybody that followed along with us all season long at The Athletic. Um, Without you guys, obviously, we wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be on my porch. Uh, Zach wouldn't be rubbing his dog's belly, and we wouldn't be talking about baseball. So thank you to all of you that have subscribed throughout the year and and joined up late when Zach made the jump. And I'm looking forward to uh, a full season of being able to to you and I tag-teaming up and as well as Travis Sawchick and everybody else that contributes to to the baseball side of things, it's going to be a fun year next year, even if most people don't care about it as we're writing about it. But again, thank you to everybody that has subscribed to us. And Zach, do you have any parting words for those people? Send in your uh, suggestions for hobbies. We would gladly adhere to what you have in mind. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>